Boston Sports Syndicate. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boston Sports Syndicate's Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travis. Thank you for joining us. Spring training games are now done and the MLB is set to kick off the 2021 season on Thursday. And of course, you know we here at the Red Sox podcast to be named later had to get together to talk about the start of the season. So, and of course, when I say we, I mean my two usual co-hosts on the show. First, the syndicate's great blogino, Chris Henrik. Chris, how's it going? Guys, I'm good. I'm excited. We are less than, what, 48 hours away recording this on Tuesday? I I can't wait. Let's Even hope opening day doesn't get rained out. Yeah, I think it might. But I'm ready. I'm excited. A rare Red Sox opening day at home. Doesn't happen very often. No, not at all. But let me bring in our other co-host. We used to call him the Brock Holt of the syndicate because he could fill so many roles for us. We were going to rebrand him as the Kike Hernandez of the syndicate, but I think maybe we should call Kike the Matty Kiwum of the Red Sox. Matt, what do you think? Oh, you know, I didn't think I could have enough energy for this episode because of, you know, I, I, I am so excited for baseball to start. But when you give me a little bit of intro like that, you give me a little extra pep in my step. I love it. It's always good to have a little extra pep in your step, isn't it? Oh, yeah. All right, guys, let's talk about this 2021 Red Sox team. They had a decent spring training, I would say. Uh, spring training was kind of weird this year. They, I think they only basically played four, maybe five teams through the whole spring training. You know, they play the Twins a million times anyway, but they played the Braves, uh, the Rays, Pirates. and the Pirates. That seemed to be about it. Um, but anyway, they had a decent record. I mean, those are some good teams other than the Pirates, and they had a they had a pretty good record this spring. I think they finished with a winning record. Not that that really means anything, yep. but it's better than having a losing record, isn't it? So they're going to be an intriguing team. So I want to get from you guys. What are your expectations for this year? Uh, Chris, why don't you go first? Because you already know where I'm coming at with this. You already know what kind of bar I'm going to set. Yeah, I sure do. So here's the thing. Expectations-wise for me, I really just I want to see this team be healthy. I think if, if, from a pitching perspective, if the Red Sox can be healthy, that's going to be the key to their success. That's their their starting rotation is and their bullpen. That's what's going to take them. I think their offense is perfectly fine. Yeah, there's question marks around JD, but hopefully once once baseball counts, you know he kind of can rectify that swing a little bit and get back to uh, the JD that we know and love. But I'm really scared really, about him, but I want to save that talk for later. But um, but yeah, really, from it's for me, it's it's getting the consistency from the pitching staff. You know, what are certain players going to look like? Um, I'm not worried about Erod, um, and I know we're going to talk about him later. I'm not worried about him. Um, I think Chris Sale. It's you know, are you going to get 10 to 12 starts once he comes back, and what does that look like? Um. Garrett Richards, major question mark, but again, he seemed to look pretty good in the spring, and you know it's going to be pitching. And from an expectation standpoint, I will be disappointed if this team doesn't make the playoffs. I think that they have a roster that can make the playoffs, 
I think the American League is a little more wide open than people want to give credit to. I think we're quick to want to appoint the Yankees as being the cream of the crop. I don't think the Yankees are the cream of the crop in the American League. I really don't. I think that the Chicago White Sox have a really solid squad. I think that the the Astros will be in the mix once again. I think the Yankees are good, and I think that they're the favorites to win the East. But I think Red Sox are a playoff team, and if this pitching can stay stay healthy and consistent, and Red, Red Sox are going to surprise some people. So I say the playoffs. Maddie, go ahead. So my optimism, you know, I went into the offseason optimistic. I'm always optimistic about the Red Sox, but it grew. And it grew for two reasons. One, the moves they were making. Bloom and company, they really went out there and focused on winning in the future, but also winning now, which, you know, for me is huge in, in, in what they're trying to do. Um, but the second reason, exactly what you mentioned, Chris, the American League is not it, – It's there's a lot of parity in the American League. When you look at a lot of the top pitching, a lot of the top pitchings in the National League, a lot of the big-time powerhouse teams, uh, they're in the National League as well. So when I factor in those two things, my expectations are, uh, on the Red Sox are, is to compete and like compete for an AL East and compete for in the playoffs. Uh, we're going to dive a little bit more as my into my expectations uh, as we keep talking here, but uh, I'm pretty high on this team, and I just I think that they have a lot of room to get better, and I think they can be very, very competitive in 2021. I think we're all in agreement this team is going to score a ton of runs this year. I mean, they've got a lot of power up and down the lineup. They're also going to strike out a ton. But I agree with you guys. I think the biggest key is the starting pitching. I mean, the moves that Bloom made in the offseason and just with Erod coming back supposedly healthy is a major boost over, you know, the the tri- AAA lineup. I was going to say 4A staff you had last year. It wasn't even that. It was basically a AAA staff. So I think right there that's probably good for an extra, you know, 10 to 15 wins compared, you know, if you prorated what they had last season. And the bullpen's built up, too, with the acquisition of Ottavino. You know, hopefully you can have uh, uh, the acquisition of Sawamura from Japan. And hopefully you can have Hernandez and Taylor healthy this year. So I think the bullpen's going to be better. So, yeah, I, I've got to say my expectations for this team, you know, I hope they, they compete. You know, hopefully they can get off to a good start. I have concerns that if this team doesn't get off to a good start, it's going to get ugly fast, like it did last year and like it did in 2019. But, you know, I, I see a lot of positive signs, and I like some of the younger players that are on the horizon, too. I think that's what has mm-hmm. me excited the most about this team, the Jaron Durans, uh, the Tanner Houks, guys that, well, Houck probably will make the opening day roster because Erod won't be ready. But, you know, these guys had really good springs. Um, Connor Siebold was another one, had a good spring. So there's mm-hmm. some hope with this Red Sox team. So It's almost it's almost like Heim Bloom had a plan and he was executing it and as much as the majority of Red Sox nation hated it it's almost like he knows exactly what he's trying to do with this team and this is like a point that I think we've all been trying to make for a while now to piggyback on your comment on these young players there is a lot to be excited about like I I like I am optimistic about what this team could potentially be you know, like this could be a really good team for a while because they have a lot of really good quality players. You know, you don't go and sign some of the players they did if you're rebuilding. You don't go, Kiki Hernandez isn't coming to the Boston Red Sox if this team is rebuilding. Kiki Hernandez is coming to the Red Sox because 
he can start, he can help contribute, and he's going to help them win. What that number looks like, I, you know, I'll mention that a little bit later on, but from, from these young players, 100%. Hauk is probably going to start the second game of the season with Erod on the IL, and if I'm Tanner Hauk, I hope that he makes it difficult for Heimblum to send him back down. I want him to go out and torch the Orioles this weekend and, and say to Bloom with his performance, I'm not going to Worcester. Because if he does that, it's going to create some buzz. There's going to be some excitement. Fans are going to be like, you know what? He had a couple of really good starts at the end of the season. Now he's doing it again. There, I, I'm excited, Bill, I, with you. I, I, there's a lot to be excited about with these players. I don't want to go crazy, but it'd be like, you know, sing their praises and cue the duck boats. But they got, a, they got some talent. Yeah, and I think you also alluded to something else, Bill, that's very important, is this team coming out of the gate hot. They have a very tough April. A lot of good teams on their schedule to start the season, and you don't want to start slow. Uh, just a couple of things that, that, that factor into the, the, their fast start uh, in relation to 2021, and I want to compare it to a, a past season. You know, they had 16 wins in spring training, which it's spring training, so you can take it for how you will, but that does lead the league. Uh, with a bunch of teams, but still. Uh, and they're playing with a little bit of energy, a little, little bit of fire. And we we talked about this on past episodes. I mean, we're going, we're going back some years now, but in 2019, remember the whole burn the book yeah. narrative? Burn the effing book. Burn the effing book narrative that we you know we talked about here? That, that started with a very lackadaisical, kind of haphazard, quite frankly, bad spring training. And the fact that they didn't do that this year and they came out rolling and even the guys who didn't perform or have the best statistics showed that they should be in the bigs and can produce in the bigs i, I think is going to bode well for them uh shooting out of the gate hot yeah i think some of that factors into how little pitchers pitched last year with only a 60 game season so i think this year you you didn't have to you know take the training wheels or you could take the training wheels off for your pitchers and get them ready for the season. That was the problem in 2019, was with how deep they went in the postseason in 2018. Cora just backed off on the starting pitching, and the pitching was not ready to go once the season started. I think this year the pitchers have thrown, I think all of the starters have gone at least into the sixth in their in their, in their their last spring training start. So these guys are ready to go opening day. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the starting. That's huge. Let's talk about the starting pitching. So Erod went down with what they called a dead arm, but there are also some reports that he had some issues with his shoulder. Now, supposedly he's thrown a bullpen since then and feels good, but he had been named the opening day starter. Now they pulled him back. He'll probably start the season on the IL. So we're looking at Evaldi once again as the opening day starter this year, and he's pitching against the Orioles, so he'll probably, you know, only allow one run because he, he lit them up all, all year last year or he shut them down all year last year. Um, and then, then it's a question mark. They haven't named anything after that. We know Martin Perez, Garrett Richards, and Nick Pavetta will be the starters, and we're assuming Hauk is going to be on the opening day roster. Uh, but let's just, is, yeah. let's just look at those those other three after Evaldi, uh, Perez, Richards, and Pavetta. Um, Richards started out poorly in spring training but he seems to have turned it around he had some mechanical issues he was working on and seems to have corrected that through well in his last couple of starts Pavetta threw well uh Perez has kind of been eh but you know I see him as as the number four at best so mm-hmm. 
you know, again, some positive notes, I think, that, that we can build on. Yeah, certainly. And I do want to touch on Erod because it was in our show notes, If you know, if we're concerned. And I, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. On one end, you hate describing anything that has to do with your body as dead. So that's not a good thing. And when you double that on top of, you know, he had COVID last year and it led to some heart conditions and, you know, feeling fatigue in in your arm after not getting great blood flow as, you know, he probably went through last year. It's definitely concerning. Uh, but having said that, the dead arm label has been put on pitchers, you know, within the last few years. And those guys, whether it was in the beginning of the season or even in the middle of the year, were able to come back and pitch effectively. So I, I don't think it's like the curse of death. I don't think it's, you know, the end of his 2021 season because as, lo- as long as Erod does not take a trip to Dr. James Andrews, hmm. I'm going to stay optimistic that he will pitch, uh, especially at the beginning of the year. You know, the off days baked in, you can kind of have some wiggle room there to play with, and the pitching depth we touched on will help early on. So I, I, I'm concerned because I don't want uh, a starter having a label as a dead arm going into the season, but I don't think it's cause for complete panic yet. Well, dead arm is, you know, supposedly not uncommon for major league pitchers, and they get it at, you know, maybe a week before spring training ends. They just kind of hit that wall, and then they just work their way through it. So hopefully that's all that this is. But again, with, with the talk about his shoulder being an issue, usually dead arm is not the shoulder. So No, it's not. That's the, the shoulder thing is something I hadn't heard until you brought it up, and that is, that adds to the concern. And it, what what sucks too is he was having a pretty good spring in his short sample size. Yeah, he was. He really was. Like he had he had looked like an ace early in yeah. spring training. Yeah, the strikeouts were there, which is something that hasn't necessarily been a strength of his in the past. So to see him come out after a year off, getting guys to swing and miss and strike them out was was big so i'm really you know fingers crossed i'm pulling for him i don't i really hope that he doesn't miss a huge chunk of the season chris any thoughts yeah i mean at the end of the day you know just to piggyback on that dead arm piece it's i kind of wish it was a different you know choice of words but you you use the term dead arm and everybody's going to gravitate towards that because it's it's just what sports media does but it's really just a fancy way to say he's fatigued. You know what I mean? Like you guys talked about as long as he's healthy for the balance of the season and he's healthy for when it counts. So if he has to miss a start or two to to get the season before the season begins to build up that strength, to get to um, the level that they need him to be at, to compete for, to take the ball every fifth day, I'm fine with that. You know, if, if he would have pitched last year and now he's coming into spring training and he's already you know feeling that dead arm and he's on the IL to start the season I'm going to be a little more worried about it but I'm not yet you know the shoulder piece is concerning but at the end of the day um the team is saying that they're optimistic and they feel that he's going to bounce back quick he may not have to make a stint in the IL or if, if he does then how we'll get that start on uh for game two um I just need him to be healthy for when it counts you know the second game of the 2021 season isn't going to make or break you know is he healthy during the stretch run in june july and august you know those dog days of summer when the Sox should theoretically be in the mix that's when we need him to be healthy and then you know go from there 
the positive with him is that the myocarditis hasn't been an issue. Again, long-term, no one knows what those effects are going to be from COVID, but that at least has not reared its ugly head. He, you know, he looks like he's been in shape, you know, so we'll see where it goes. Hopefully this is a short-term thing. And, but again, I hope that Tanner Houck makes the decision to be sent down after, if he starts a difficult one for Hein Bloom, because it's going to show us and a lot of optimism that there is some other pieces that can come in and fill out this rotation because we're bound to get an Evaldi injury. You know, that's, oh, you yeah. can mark that down. Yeah. It's a matter of when, you know, so um, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned for, for Erod just yet. I, I, I have to be because of his past history. And I know some of his history has been his knees, but usually when you have, you know, knee problems or something else, Pitchers are always going to have an arm problem at some point. And usually if you have a problem with your knee, you compensate with your arm, and that leads to other issues. So, you know, until he's until they say he's fine, I'm going to have some initial concern. Remember, we went through this with Chris Sale. Oh, yeah, his arm's just a little tired. He's thrown a lot of innings, blah, blah, blah. Next thing we know, he's having Tommy John. This is how it starts. So hopefully he can get through it. And I agree with you 100%. It's, you know, if, if you have to sacrifice a couple of starts at the beginning of the season, so be it as long as he's healthy. The, the important thing is to get him get him healthy for the long haul. Tanner Houck, I, I, I really don't see, if everybody else is healthy, I don't see him st- sticking on the big club, uh, mainly because of service time. You know you know how they love their service time. So I, I think they stash him down, at, down in Worcester, have him work consistently there, because like you said, Avaldi's just an IL stint waiting to happen, and then, then they'll be able to bring him up, but he'll be stretched out. I can't see them. Pavetta's out of options, so I don't. I don't. You know, unless there is another injury, I don't see another spot for Hauk. Unless they go to a six-man rotation, which is something they've talked about, and they're going to carry so many pitchers, that could be a possibility. Yeah, they they kind of did way with that speculation, but that was before the dead arm incident. And you talk about a guy like Eivaldi, Bill. He He's a little bit injury prone. You know, the uncertainty of a Pavetta and how maybe a six man rotation isn't the worst thing to do, uh, you know, when May, June kind of starts rolling around. Yeah, right now it looks like they're going to carry a nine man bullpen. They're going to have 14 pitchers mm-hmm. on the staff. At least that's the way it seems to be shaping up. And some of that is tied to the, the buzzword this year on this team is versatility. You've got guys oh, who can yeah. play multiple positions. So from night to night, you're not going to have that set lineup. You're going to have guys like Hernandez and guys like Marwin Gonzalez that are just bouncing all over the place and playing a different position. It looks like Hernandez is probably going to be the ma- primary second baseman, but I've you know I've seen some spring training games with him starting in center field and playing it pretty well. So the bench has gotten a lot shorter. Um, they sent today they sent Michael Chavis down. I don't know if you guys had heard mm-hmm. that. Javis yep, they're going to carry Arroyo. Uh, so it looks like Arroyo is going to really be the only infielder um, on the bench. Um, and then the outfield looks like it's going to be some mix of uh, Gonzalez, Franchi Cordero, Verdugo, and Hunter Renfro, who will probably play primarily against left-handed pitching. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to see something different every night. But that versatility has led them to be able to carry more pitching. So... Yeah, you know, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a, a, a very deep bullpen at least as far as bodies go. 
and I think even is they're going to be versatile as well. I mean, you have Garrett Wicklock, who's a you know historically a starter. He's going to be in the pen, and he looks uh, like you a have steal. Matt Andreese, he looks like an absolute steal like, in the Rule Five draft. Unbelievable, and the power arm and what he brings. You know, him and Matt Andreese, those guys are going to play huge roles in this team. And a lot of the concern, a lot of the talk is was geared towards the back end of the bullpen, which was rightfully so. It was terrible last year, and he took a lot – Bloom and everyone made – took a lot of steps to prevent uh, – or to improve that. But also in the front end of the bullpen, they made some drastic and, and big-time moves. Andreese and Whitlock, they can come in, stop the bleeding if – you know, Evaldi gives you an effective three and a half, four innings. You could bring in a guy like that, and pat, that's the that's how you patch it to the back end. So I think they did a lot of things and versatility, like you said, Bill. It's it's almost like Bill Belichick took over around here with all the amount of versatility that they going on. And you know, when when they did their release, their press release on their uh, act, the guys who were going to carry into opening day, they listed Marwin and Kike as utility players. Not infielders, not outfielders, utility players. So I think that shows where their head's at in terms of how to use these guys. It makes sense. I mean, you know, if you if you have a if you have a guy in Marwin, you have a guy in Kiki who can, you know, they're going to be able to play all over the diamond and be able to carry more pitching. And pitching was ultimately this team's Achilles heel last season. Bloom went 100 percent found the players to go out and get and bring to this club. Don't be surprised if Kiki Hernandez plays a lot of left field for the Red Sox. Everybody's assuming he's going to be playing second base. Don't be surprised if he plays a lot of left field. You know, we still haven't seen, you know, much from Franchi Cordero yet, you know, with him really only getting started in camp towards the end of spring training. Do you call him Franchi? You know, maybe. Is that, is that his Franchi? name? Franchi? Franchi? <laughs> I know, I know. We called him Franchi in the last one. You know, you know, we created. We're gonna that. call. I'm just gonna call. I'm gonna call him Cordero. No, I um, like Franchi. I, I, th- I think. Franchi. Yeah, Franchi. Hashtag Franchi. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Um, what was we saying? Oh, um, yeah. So don't. I wouldn't be surprised if if Kike is their left fielder and Arroyo ends up playing more second base. I'm not surprised even Arroyo made the team. He was out of options as well, and Heim Bloom loves that dude. Uh, he, you know, so maybe Arroyo can can surprise him, and and you know, I like the fact that Chavis, him going down to to Worcester, he can work on. He can work on some things at the plate and understand that he's not, you know, it can't be just home run or strikeout. And if they need to bring him up and he gets hot down in Worcester, and you can bring him up and someone struggling and goes in the IL that's good depth to have with him. And again, he's another guy that they, he can play wherever. So a lot of optimism, a lot of different things you can do with this, with this lineup. And that's going to be the thing every night, it's going to be something different. And I think it's going to, the intrigue, especially if this team's competitive. So if this team's competitive, the intrigue from fans is going to be, you know, what are they going to roll out next and, and what, and how's it going to work so far? So good spring training again, not about numbers. It's really about, Showing up your swing, focusing on mechanics and getting ready for the season. But everything that we got to see, I mean, this team mashed all spring long. Yeah, and you mentioned sending Chavis down to, uh, I almost said Pawtucket, sending him down to Worcester. There's also some other guys like Cesar Pueo, who's who yep. had good springs, you know, that are getting stashed down there as well. So, you know, that's that's good depth that they really didn't have last year. 
quality depth that you know so last year they had a million bodies this year they have bodies that are going to be able in some capacity help this baseball team you know last year we were you know i kind of wish that youtube took Nesson off TV last year, so I didn't have to, you know, sit and watch through that whole thing. Watching Ryan Weber go out there and throw 86 mile an hour fastballs that are getting just, you know, torched over the right field bullpen. And people um, comparing him to Greg Maddox. Yeah, they're ridiculous. Um, but where this year, if Ryan Weber is called up at any portion of the year, it better be for depth out of the bullpen, and. Because someone's going to make a short stint on the on the DL or the IL rather, I don't want Ryan Weber up there like he was this year. But they have they've just better quality players, and that's that's the thing that I think the Red Sox fans are not patient with. This is just beginning of how Bloom is going to build this team. You know, you traded the face of the franchise in bets. You got through. You weathered that storm, and now you went through and had a, a relatively decent off season. And I'm like, I'm excited about once the season gets going, he went and plucked, you know, Whitlock and he had some other players that he picked up in that rule five draft. What's he going to do with the actual draft? You know, what's that going to look like? With the number four pick. I'm praying, I'm praying Jack Leiter can fall to four. I don't think it's happening, guys. I'm praying though. I... How about the other stud from Vanderbilt? How's he doing this year? Matt, you following him? Oh, yeah. I, I, I still would rather have Kumar Rocker. I know uh, Leiter's uh, velocity is ticked up a notch, and he looks absolutely unhittable. Uh, I just go on longevity. I go on uh, – I don't like flavors of the month, and I'm not calling Jack Leiter that. I think he's a, a incredible pitching prospect. But I think the likelihood as the season's playing out, it's more likely that Kumar Rocker falls to four, and if he does – that would be the biggest blessing uh, for the Red Sox, in my opinion. That kid is a stud, and he just – something about throwing 100 when you didn't throw it last year is a red flag for potential Tommy John where Kumar's been very, very consistent in his miles per hour and in his repertoire. So uh, I love both those kids, but I would I would love Rocker falling to four. I mean, hell, I'd love Lighter falling there too. Yeah, I think you can go wrong with either one of those guys. I can't believe they're on the same college baseball team. It's absolutely oh, crazy. Man, that must be that must be a tough bus ride for anybody that they're gonna play, huh? <laughs> when you know you're gonna face those two guys. Yeah. You know what's good oh, what's too is like if if you have ESPN plus, you can actually watch college baseball. You can see these kids actually play and get an idea who the hell potentially some of these guys are gonna be before they're drafted. And what I'm even even more excited about is the fact that there is now beginning to actually be coverage about these players. So fans and again, baseball prospects and drafts like that's not easy to kind of project. It's not the same as football. It's not the same as basketball, but at least it's something. And, you know, and there's some buzz and there's some hype around this draft. Also, the fact that the Red Sox have the number four pick and they're not going to be a bad team for much longer, you know. There's there's light at the end of the tumble, uh, tunnel, rather tumble, tunnel. Let's hope it's not a tumble. And yeah, hope not either. Um, but no, I, I'm I, I have not been this excited and optimistic for the Boston Red Sox in a while, and I and I hope I hope they don't let me down. You speak of draft picks. Last year's number one draft pick, Nick York, 
was in camp this mm-hmm. year and did pretty well for an 18-year-old kid. It, he did not look. He looked polished for his age. He did. Absolutely. He did not look out of place or, or you know, like a deer. He didn't have that deer in the headlights look that you would expect an 18-year-old to have in a major league camp. Right, and and if you guys remember after that draft, the, he was a commit to Vanderbilt, uh, and the coach said that he believed he was one of the best hitting high schoolers in all of the country. So maybe Bloom doing his research or doing his homework really is going to pay off for this team in the long term. Because, yeah, you're right. He did not look like a deer in headlights, and he was way more polished than I thought he'd be given his age. Things looking good. Things looking good. Let's uh, let's go back to the bullpen for a second. Uh, the Sox seem to have dodged a major, another major COVID bullet with uh, Matt Barnes, who initially tested positive and was uh, in isolation and through contact tracing, another a number of other players um, had to be sat out uh, over the weekend. But apparently it turned out that Barnes had had COVID at some point over the winter or whenever and is still testing positive. So I think they call it a non-transmission positive, so he's no longer non-infectious. Non-infectious, non-infectious, non-infectious positive. positive, yes. So it looks like... It just sounded like John Farrell talk for... Uh, a false positive. <laughs> <laughs> the ball just was real crisp coming out of his hand. Yeah. So I think the Sox dodged a bullet on that one because there was a there was a seemed like a good chance that they weren't going to have Barnes either for opening day. Yeah, and a team who you know we even just said this earlier in the show that it, it's so important to start off right. You don't want to have to be scrambling two days before opening day, regardless of, of the reason. If you had a game plan and you had something in your mind on how you wanted it to go, to have to all of a sudden go back to the drawing board and just, you know, with, it could have been up to what they said, what did you say, eight guys could have potentially been uh, flagged to sit out for a little bit. That would have been just not the way you want to start opening day. Who do you see the closer as being this year? Do you think, I'm sure Cora already has an idea, but you think Barnes will be the closer? I, my, I don't know why my gut is telling me Barnes. And I don't know if it's like a clubhouse thing, if Cora wants to give the vet the chance to save. I don't know. But my head and what I've seen in this this, this preseason, it's got to be Ottavino. That guy's like unhittable and we know that Barnes isn't historically great in the ninth. So why force, you know, a square peg in a round hole? Why not give him the eighth and let Adovino take the ninth? But maybe if maybe the core just sees something in the makeup or has had conversations with these guys. But like I said, my gut says Barnes, but my head and my eyes say Adovino. So I don't know if that's an answer or just two different players that I broke down. I don't really know. I prefer to be out of, you know, I, I think that we, I think if you were to pull 25 Sox fans, they would probably say the same thing. Um, I just, Matt Barnes scares me. You know, he's just so erratic all the time. Like, you know, how many times have, have we, have you seen an outing and, and Matt Barnes is just wild out there and, you know, he throws super hard, but. I just think that there's not consistency with him to where he can take that ball on the ninth and be effective in that role. Now, I think he was, what, 9 of 12 last year once he took over the closing role after they traded Workman. Um, I just prefer Adovino. I just think he's he's a, got a different makeup. You know, you go so Amura, Barnes, Adovino, 
I mean, it's, it's not terrible at all. So, but I think that Cora is probably going to go Barnes. He's going to go with the hand that he knows, and it's Barnes. It's Barnes to lose. But at least if he if he was to, if he was to lose it, the Red Sox do have an in-house, you know, backup option and plan with with Ottavino. But someone else might emerge from the group too at some point throughout the course of the season. And just look at the way too, guys, that baseball is evolving. Like how many teams have a legit closer now? Like really what Liam Hendricks is probably the premier closer in the sport. There's really not a lot of teams that have that shutdown closer. It's almost like it's changing on a regular basis. So my same thing with Matt, you know, I want to see out of, you know, I think they're going to go Barnes. I'm going to make a bold prediction, not to start the season, but by the end of the season, right? This is one I'm just going to throw against the wall and see if it sticks. Do you remember when Jonathan Papelbon first came up? He came up as a starter. I do. I remember mm-hmm. I watched that start against the Twins. Could never develop that third pitch, and they ended up putting him in the bullpen. I'm going to say Tanner Houck takes that same career path. Oh, that is not a bad that is not a bad take at all because you're right he has that two pitch combo and with his you know his wind up when he just steps to the to the third base side and comes across his body that is just something that is so hard to hit given you know only an inning to do so. All right, you heard it here first. I think we got a Red Sox podcast name later. Hot take. Get that. Hit the sound. Hashtag hot take. All right. Seeing we're talking about players, I want each one of you to give me three players to watch this year and an honorable mention. Who are you who are you guys looking at this season? How do you want to do this? Do you want to go back and forth, Chris, or do you want to go three three and then or let's, three honorable mention, three honorable let's mention? Go, let's go back and forth because I feel like, you know, there might be someone we might not agree with and we can kinda okay. we can have combo. probably have some overlap right. too, so you go first. Mate, uh, ahead, my my number one player to watch is J.D. Martinez. This guy, uh, for obvious reasons, he had such a down 2020. You know, whether it was video related or like he had mentioned uh, early in the spring, he had kind of shut it down, not expecting to play at all. Uh, whether either one of those are the case, that is not the case in 2021. He has his video system where he can check out at bats during the game, and he obviously knew there was going to be a season this year, uh, and. He's just such an important piece to this team. He's, in my opinion, the catalyst for them having a fantastic lineup, like a setting the pace lineup or just a pretty good one. Um, I think he's going to find it back. You know, he's hovering right around 300 in the spring, just hit his first home run, and he's getting a ton of plate appearances. You know, he had he, racked, he led the team uh, in hits with 16. Uh, so I, I think that he's very important, and he's the guy that I uh, – uh, I'm looking at right out of the gate. I got to agree with you on that one. I had him on my list as well. I've got him at 269 for the spring. And I got to be honest, I'm surprised he's hitting that well because I, I did not like what I saw from him in the in the games that I saw this spring. I thought his swing looked really long, looked like his shoulder was flying out. He was getting beaten on the inside fastball. I'm concerned for him. I, I His swing looks I, really, really long to me. I think he got hot because I'm looking at it now. He's at 291 after today's game. I know he had a hit today. Yeah, and he had a home run a couple days ago. But, no, you're right. His swing did look long, uh, and maybe he's finding it right before the season starts. So, Which is what you want from I a veteran. I guess that is what we'll look for. Exactly, exactly. 
J.D. Martinez has never hit well in the spring. That's been something with with him and his throughout his course of his career. He's never been a good spring training hitter, meaning from the perspective of you know hitting for average and, and things like that. So I'm not going to put a lot of stock into what his batting average is, and I'm not a scout that's trained to look at you know his at bats and and how he goes about his approach. I just really think at the end of the day, if he feels that he's right and he feels that he's getting his swing back and he's going to have his, you know, ability to watch film throughout the course of the game to make sure he can make those adjustments, JD's going to be back. And I think JD's going to be there. Um, I'm going to be concerned if we go through the first month and a half of the season and he's hovering around 260, 265, because that's not the hitter who he is. But again, just he's never been he's never been a a you know a, a big time spring training hitter. So he holds a lot of keys to this team's success as well. I think you know we talked about the pitching. JD Martinez is just as important to the Red Sox success um, as anybody in that lineup. So I, I'm with you guys there. He's not on my list of the three to watch, but he's definitely a key a, you know a catalyst to that offense. All right, who do, who's one of your guys on your three to watch? Three to watch for me, um, first off, is is Bobby Dahlbeck. Okay. I had him uh, on my list as well. I have Bobby Dahlbeck on there. Um, I mean, just look, he, he was – look what he did in the spring, though. I mean, again, his numbers – again, you don't want to focus on numbers, but he just crushed, what was it, eight, seven or eight home runs over the course of the spring, hit two grand slams. He was setting the ball opposite field with that. You know, he came into he came into this season after having an impressive 23-game stretch with the Sox last year. First base wasn't his, like, it wasn't his position. Like, he had, like, he won that job. He went out, he secured that role to be the Red Sox first baseman. And on top of it, Red Sox are going to bat him ninth in the lineup. You know, so when's the last time someone with that that kind of power potential hit, is hitting in the ninth spot it's super unconventional for alex cora to you know to do because typically you have like those speed guys you know that one and nine but dollbacks and hit the bottom of the lineup there's not a lot of pressure for him to be in the middle of the lineup and have to mash let this kid just go and and, and kind of build that confidence and just kind of run with it and, and he starts to elevate himself within the lineup on top of that is you know what you know what's he going to do in the field I haven't seen really anything. I don't, he doesn't really feel like he's someone I think we're going to be worried about at first base. Plus, he's got the versatility. He can play third. You give Devers a day off. He you know, slides over to third. Marvin Gonzalez starts at first base. I'm excited for Bobby Dahlback. And I you know, I did the article about the rookie of the year because um, MLB on Fox did a, you know, did a survey, and, and he was the fan's choice. I think he's got company with Randy Rosarina because he's still a true rookie. But – I think Bobby Dahlback's going to hit 30 plus home runs. I like I I feel that. Like I think he's le- he's legit going to hit at least 30 bombs. He's going to strike out a ton, but he's going to have some clutch hits for the Red Sox. I think he's yeah, I think he's going to exceed some expectations. Yeah, I got to agree with you on on everything you said about him. And I think another reason to watch him is because you know the league will make an adjustment to him. And it's always the question with these rookies, can they make the adjustment back to compensate for it? 
Chavis was never able to make that adjustment once they figured him out. It looks like Dahlbeck has he doesn't he doesn't seem to have that hole in his swing like Chavis does, and he can he can hit the bombs that he hits to right field. It looks like a left-handed pull hitter with it with the how far these balls go. It's he's just got incredible power. So yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be a fun guy to watch develop. And I was I was don't tell my bosses this, but I was watching the Red Sox game today while I was working. I had it on. <laughs> Dennis Eckersley made a really good um, comp for him. He brought up Mark McGuire when Mark McGuire first came up, and you had this, you know, this big guy first baseman who could just hit bombs to right field. And I can see that, you know, it's it's a sim- he's got a similar body type to what McGuire had back then. This was before he got on the Andrustine. Um and I thought that was a really good comp for uh, for Dahlbeck. So if you can get three quarters of what uh, McGuire's career was. I think they're all set at first base for a long time. I actually had Dahlbeck as my honorable mention, and that really was only because I had a strong feeling he was going to come up. Uh, and you guys pretty much covered everything. Uh, the only thing I will add was he was the Arizona Wildcats closer when he played for them. It's neither here nor there. I just out of school. Throw him into the bullpen mix, too. Kid threw, I mean, he threw hard. And uh, if you've ever seen him play third base, you know the kid's got a cannon. But, yeah, he can play some third base, too. I mean, I could see. Yeah, he I could see them bit. flip-flopping at some point in the future. If Devers continues to struggle at third defensively, I can very, or maybe mm-hmm. after JD's gone, Devers switches to DH, Dahlbeck goes to third. Yeah, absolutely. All right, who's another guy on your list, Matt? All right, so the number two guy on my list is Raphael Devers. I, I just – I look at this kid. I saw the shape he came into. He hasn't had a great batting average uh, this spring, but he does have 11 hits, and he did hit three out of the ballpark. Uh, but just having his guy back uh, in Alex Cora, having that nucleus together of Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, J.D., and maybe uh, Alex Verdugo, I think this kid's going to go nuclear this year. I think you're looking at a, a, a potentially MVP caliber season from Raphael Devers. You mentioned the shape he came in. Did you think he came in in good shape? Because I, I saw, you know, maybe a, a baby Pablo Sandoval there. No, I thought I just watching him on Sunday. I thought he looked pretty good up there. Uh, I know reports came in at first he wasn't in the best shape of his life. Committee that was all Christian Vasquez, but just maybe maybe my eyes were deceiving me. But when I watched him on Sunday, I thought he looked in good shape. But I gotta agree with you about his hitting. I did his Red Sox player profile for for our website. And I I, right. I deemed him a hitting savant because that's what he is. You talk about right. no hole in your swing. This guy can hit anything. Uh, I was watching a game over the weekend. He hit a ball that almost bounced in the dirt, and he roped it into the left center field gap for a double. I mean, this right. you know, there's no way to pitch this guy when he's on. And he just he did it at such a young age. Yeah, he's only it's twenty. Just, you he's only twenty four. I think we forget that. Right. He's younger than some of Seriously. these guys that we talk about as prospects that are going to be coming up in a few years. I think he's around the same age as Jaron Duran. Yeah, yeah, Durant, yeah, exactly. And about the same age as Dahlback and Chavis, if not younger. Mm-hmm, right. Chris, did you have um, Devers on your list? No, uh, I didn't have him on my list because I I have two other guys that I feel are ones that, for me, are I don't want to say like they're a must see, but I think there's a bigger storyline with them. But um, but I I agree. I mean, 
I would love to see Devers drop 40 bombs this year. You know, I'd love to see him be that guy. Um, but there's one thing with this Red Sox team that from the limited amount of games that we've been able to see, but the coverage between the different beat writers and the different outlets. Alex Cora has brought something back to this team that they have just severely missed. It's almost as if like he picked right up and they didn't miss a beat. You know, like guys like to play for him. Yeah. It feels like it feels like the players, um, it feels like the players are happy. Um, they're motivated. There's no longer any uncertainty because there was uncertainty. You know, Cora got suspended. He wasn't with the team. Now you had Renicky and, you know, he's, you know, he's getting up there in age and there was the rumors from the rip that he wasn't going to potentially be back. And then you have all that uncertainty with that. And you have a, a brand new, you know, general manager who is just, now I'm not going to use the term ripping apart the team because I feel like that that's a bad choice of words, but just making different moves to better the team. There was a lot of just uncertainty. Then on top of the pandemic, you, you add that, you know, onto the fire too. But now you get through 2020, you come into 2021 and it just, it feels like this team, they feel like they have something to play for. Like it, it just, it feels like this is a different swagger with this group, which I, you know, I feel Alex Cora has brought that in. And I think that he's instilled that with Devers where Devers knows like, Hey, I got my guy, like Matt said, He's going to support me. I just need to make the right decisions when it comes to trying to keep myself in shape. And he, like, I think he's going to match. I really do. I think that he's 40 home runs is where I think the Devers is going to be at. I, I just, I get that. It's nothing other than just my gut telling me that. And I'm hoping that I'm right. One thing I, I want, I want to watch with him um, is he's had his most productive time in the majors batting out of the two spot. It looks like this year Verdugo is going to hit out of the two spot. Devers is going to drop down probably to five um, and probably hit behind J.D. So, I, you know, I, I think that could be good for J.D. I'm just wondering what it's going to do for Devers and if that's going to affect his production at all, hitting lower in the lineup. Or maybe he'll hit third. You know, I, I'm sure the lineup is probably going to be just as interchangeable as where the guys play in the field, I think, this year. But I don't see, I don't yeah. think Devers is, is right now going to be slated to hit out of that two spot, and that's where he has been most productive in his career. All right, Chris, who else do you have on your list? I have um, – I'm going to go with uh, pitching, and I got Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta for me is, is intriguing because he pitched really well in two starts last year. Um, he's pitched, you know, pretty well in the this spring um i'm hoping that the red sox found something with him and they were able to kind of tap in and get him kind of like course corrected because there's a sample size from the time that he was in philadelphia that i think fans have the right to be pessimistic about him and be like well you know look at his numbers they're not exactly the greatest and there's a sample size to back that up so hopefully the red sox and their pitching program Again, Bloom came from Tampa Bay, and what does Tampa Bay do better than almost any other team besides the Indians and the Dodgers is they develop pitching. So they saw something in him, and, and he seems to have responded, and he's been you know relatively productive. So um, having to come in here, be the number five, there's not a lot of pressure from that perspective. It's just consistency with him. If he's consistent, can find his pitches, 
he could be an asset for this team and short money controllable. You know, I, I just, the Red Sox are going to need some consistent pitching and outside of the guys that we named from the sales and the E-Rods of the world, Pavetta is just as important to that rotation because they're banking on him. You know, while there's Tanner Houck waiting in the wings and there's Connor Siebold and there's some other, you know, arms down there, Pavetta is a big piece to what they're going to try to do to move this team forward into the future. Yeah, you talk about his numbers in his career, uh, 21 and 30 in his career with a 5.40 ERA. So, you know, I think number five is, is probably his ceiling. But if, you know, if he, if he can eat innings down there and, you know, take some of that load off the bullpen, mm-hmm. which is something that they haven't had the last couple of years, you know, that serves a role right there. So, yeah, that's that's a good call, Chris. Matt, any thoughts on Pavetta? Yeah, Pavetta going into 2020 before the world froze, uh, he made a pretty significant mechanics change and, and it actually had the mm-hmm. baseball world pretty – excited about his yeah, potential really good call on that matt that that's go ahead this is good yeah and and then you know the pandemic really struck it and shut down baseball and you know by many reports from philadelphia is pavetta does have he is a bit of a head case uh, so some balls bounced a certain way which kind of pushed him out of the rotation which kind of took his innings away from him and you know, unfortunately, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to, this is a negative towards him. He, he, he kind of imploded a little bit, which caused him to sh- uh, send him down to the alternate training site where he continued to work on that mechanics. But once the Red Sox acquired him, he came right out and, you know, showed his positivity and maybe the change of scenery will lift that dark cloud that was following him in Philadelphia. And you put that, you know, you put a positive mindset, we've talked about Cora a bunch, and then you add on the, 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 the mechanics change, he could be a very dangerous weapon uh, for the back end of this rotation. I'm not going to say he's like a Cy Young candidate, but Bill, you're right. If he pitches well and gives you good innings and just continues to take the ball every fifth day or every sixth day, if that's what they choose, for the Sox team, he could be, you know, a, a major contributor. All right, Matt, did you... He kind Go ahead, Chris. No, he kind of gives me, like, he gives me, remember when they, when they, when they traded for Nathan Evaldi, and, you know, he kind of, you know, he, you take away the time that he's, that he's spent on the IL, he's been a relatively productive pitcher for the Red Sox, the time that he's been out there. He kind of gives me, Pavetta, uh, Pavetta gives me Evaldi vibes a little bit, where they, they throw incredibly hard. Um, it just, they, I've never like put their videos side by side to go and say they have similar, uh, mechanics and deliveries, but they just, they feel like they have the same makeup and mindset and how they, you know, go about approaching their starts, you know, just looking at some of like his numbers taking from like away from his actual statistics. Um, back in 2018, he was averaging a 94.8 mile an hour fastball, uh, you know, uh, last year, his uh, 2019 was 94 six, so it's it's around a 95 mile an hour fastball. That that's and it's like a he's just a power physical pitcher that if he can eat up innings for this team and he can get out of his head and be and be productive. Right now, his ceiling's five. Maybe it's a little bit higher. I'm not you know he's not an ace, but by any stretch of the imagination. But can he be serviceable? Can he fill the role for? 
Perez next year and be that number four on this team and just get that consistency from an inning standpoint. I, I don't know. I just I feel like he's a, one of the keys to that bullpen where they need guys who are going to be healthy because we know that there's some question marks with certain players. You know, we talked to Sale a little bit earlier for a brief second where, again, he's probably getting 12 starts. Erod's going to miss some time to begin. It's a matter of when for Nathan Avaldi. Martin Perez has been healthy for the balance of his career. Pavetta has not shown that he has injury history. The Red Sox are going to need those type of players, and that's why, for me, he holds a little more of a key because of the fact that he is a power power arm that I think this team needs. And also, they can also – what's to say he doesn't? they don't flip him in the bullpen at one point of the season too? Maybe someone emerges and – he becomes that Garrett Whitlock type of player too out of the pen. Like it's a power arm. I'm thinking playoffs, you know, having those power arms in the, in the bullpen, it, it's not going to hurt this team. So for me, huge key, hopefully he doesn't disappoint, but we'll see. All right, Matt, do you have uh, anybody else left on your list before we get to the honorable mentions? I did. I had one more guy on my list. I went all offense here because I just knew we were going to be talking pitchers uh, throughout the entire podcast because, you know, that's such a big uh, thing to watch and such a big question mark for this franchise. But the last guy on my list was Jaron Duran. I just thought he had to, he had to be mentioned because this kid has been absolutely on fuego for a full calendar year. He hit in the alternative training site last year, and the knock was, well, it's against – Red Sox pitching that wasn't good enough to make the big leagues, which is what fair. jerk said that. Uh, but then he went down. <laughs> it, 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 no, it's a fair point. It was it, me. It's true. It is what it is. Hey, it. We say we cover it all here. You can't have all. You can't have me just shooting stars and rainbows all the time. You need to have some actual facts to bring us back to the ground level. But <laughs> ground level is not where Jared Durant's hitting right now. This guy is in. This guy's on cloud nine. This guy keeps raking. He went to the Puerto Rico League. Right. Went to the Caribbean series because his team was so good that it made the Caribbean series continue to rake. Came to spring training, leads the team in hits, leads the team. He has a 240 average. He's, he's hit the ball out of the ballpark three times. He struck out 19, which is uh, a big, you know, it's a concern for Jaron Durant. And it's probably going to be the main reason why they, you know, send him down and keep him down for the service time manipulation, but they'll say it's on plate discipline or something like that. But I just think that this guy's coming up sooner rather than later, and he's just been such an electric guy at the plate, you know, which is just crazy because his profile was speed and and attacking base paths and, and, and developing in the outfield. And he made that mechanics, and he made that switch to, to his swing, and now – this guy looks like Grady Sizemore 2.0. Yeah, you said the word electric, and that's the word I had in my mind, too. He's been electric in camp, especially on the base pass. He can fly. He can fly, and then that ball he hit today was absolutely, was it, th- yeah, against Soroka. He absolutely tanked that pitch. That's something that's going to approach the bullpen going over that right field wall, which is not an easy task to do, and not necessarily something I saw him have being capable of doing. So the fact that he's doing it for, like I said, a full calendar year now, uh, this guy, I can't wait for him in the big league. So it's someone I'm not going to watch on the Red Sox, but it's someone I'm definitely going to watch on the Woo Sox. I hope it's soon because I drafted him as a sleeper in fantasy baseball. So I hope to see him soon. But, you know, again, Matt, like, dude, like, I I can't wait to see him once he finally gets up to the the big club because – there's 
just his swing, his speed, it just again, like you said, Grady Sizemore. And if he can live up to that comp, and you know, again, the knock on Grady Sizemore is they, you know, he got hurt, but um, there's nothing in Duran's, you know, past this at this moment to be like, oh, there's injury concerns. You made a perfect point. He has done nothing but hit over the last calendar year and hasn't missed a beat. Super excited to get ready to see him this season. Yeah, it be fun to watch him and Verdugo in the outfield as well. You know, speaking of Verdugo. Speaking of Verdugo. I'll make, is that another player on your list? My, he is my third oh, final player to that watch. That is a pro segue. Let me, let me tell you, Alex Verdugo last year was was kind of like the perfect storm for him you know remember when when they acquired him we talked about he was hurt he was traded for the face of the franchise Mookie Betts there was a chance that he was going to miss the start of the season and luckily I say luckily I don't mean in the, in the way of luckily there was a pandemic I mean in the respect of luckily baseball stopped and he was able to rest up and be ready for the start of the season later in July um, but I'm excited to see what he's going to look like in front of fans at Fenway. He plays with a ton, a ton of energy. And I don't know if you guys listen to it, but Buster only has a podcast that he does uh, for baseball tonight. And he had probably maybe like an eight minute piece with Alex Verdugo, basically talking about how he's approached being in the bigs and how players like, Mitch Moreland and Rich Hill kind of took them under their wing to be like, hey, you play with a lot of passion, you play with a lot of fire, but you need to reel it in and get yourself to be in a way where your teammates are going to respond to that because sometimes it's a little over the top. And I just think that he has the perfect makeup and the mindset to be in Boston. Um, he's going to play center for them. I think he's perfect in the number two hole. And I wouldn't surprise me. Would it surprise either one of you if he hit 20 bombs this year? No, I don't think that's a stretch at all. No, no, I don't think no, so either. No, he was on pace for just just south of that last year. And I'm take away his offense, I'm actually even more excited about his defense. And I, look, I have I was never a JBJ fan, and I you know will never hide the fact of that. But I think that this kid is he's not going to give us JBJ defense, but I think he's he's going to help ease the fans away from hey jbj's not there anymore give him a little bit of time to understand how to play center field at fenway park oh by the way couple with the fact that he plays with a ton of energy and fire and passion that we'd like to see out of out of the players here in boston and he can hit he's not meant to be bookie bets he came out last year and told the media to basically shove it that he's going to be his own player when he's here which i think was one of the, the perfect thing that he did i think he's got a swagger about himself i bought a hoodie directly from his brother I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for, for, for Doogie. I'm ready for this season with him. And I, I don't see him in any respect of um, regressing whatsoever. I, I only actually see him progressing even more. I, I think 285, 20 home runs, and 85 RBI, that's where I want to see Verdugo this year. You know, you mentioned him playing center field. I hope they just put him in center and leave him there and don't mess around with shifting him over to left, uh, you know, putting Hernandez in center, shifting him to left in certain places, or shifting him to right in Fenway when Renfro gets a day off. I hope they just leave him there and, and let him get acclimated to the position. No, I, I, I agree. 
I agree. I, I don't think that they will because between between Kike, you know, Cordero, Renfro, um, Marvin Gonzalez, those guys are going to flank on the outsides. If if Hernandez is going to play center, I think it's because Verdugo is going to take the day off. Now, if one of those guys struggles mightily in right field, because he played a pretty good right field for the Red Sox last year, and he played a pretty good left field. But if I think someone struggles in right field, maybe maybe he shifts to right because that seems like it's a harder position to play than center at Fenway Park. But or maybe once they bring Duran up. If they bring Duran up, stick him in center, then you shift Verdugo over to right. That I could see. Duran and Verdugo in the outfield has the potential to be incredibly exciting. Like, when's the last time that we, we've actually seen an athletic Red Sox outfield? Oh, that, by the way, can hit. I was going to say, the the one they had in 2018 was a pretty athletic outfield, but they couldn't all hit. Yeah, I, but but beyond that, I mean, well, that was Benintendi's probably best year of his career. Mookie Betts is just going to Mookie Betts. But JBJ was never really that. He was just an inconsistent bat. I, I, I'm excited for it. I like Typically, I can be pessimistic about it. I like to try to ride the fence a little bit. Matt, I don't know what happened. But I am completely optimistic and excited for this Red Sox team. I just, I just think there's a lot to be thankful and excited for. You know, they say old married couples begin to act a lot alike. And we've done a lot of these shows together, me, you, and Bill. Uh, maybe my positivity is starting to rub off on you guys. No, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Soon enough. Not at your level, Matt. Not well, at your if, level. If they, if, they start the, if they start the year two and five, I'm sure that the, the tone will be much different. All right, do uh, do you guys have anybody left in your top three? I'm actually covered throughout. I got all my guys out there. I had Erod in mind. We've already talked about him quite a bit, but I just think he's he's the key to this starting pitching. Everything's going to slot in after him. If if he's out for an extended period, everybody moves up a slot, you know, and they're not where they should be. So he's he's the key to this staff this year. He needs to stay healthy. But we've already talked about enough him. Let's move on to your honorable mentions. Who do you have on your list, Matt? My honorable mention was Bobby Dahlbach. Uh, but you guys kind of covered everything there. Uh, the one thing that I was su- pleasantly surprised to hear was the reason for him to bat ninth. Uh, Chris, you talked about it, so I'm not really going to dive too much into it. But, you know, I come from the more traditional sense where I kind of want a second leadoff guy there. But... You know, after hearing Alex Cora break it down and his thoughts on it, I think it could really be a dangerous weapon for this lineup. All right, Chris, who's your number three? Uh, I'm sorry, who's your honorable mention? Garrett Whitlock. I'm excited for Whitlock. Um, I think that he was an absolute steal at this point out of that Rule of Five draft. I bet you, you know, if Brian Cashman, if Brian Cashman could go back in time, he would not have traded out of Eno. And he would have protected Garrett Whitlock. It's not often that at least we get to hear New York make mistakes and the Red Sox are going to benefit from that. So um, I think Whitlock, you know, he has the ability to start. He has the ability to be a reliever, uh, that swing man. Who's to say that he's not that closer type? I just feel like the kid's got the mentality and the makeup where he doesn't take anything for granted. He said it, you know, when he – throughout the course of the year, like, you know, his mindset and his makeup of how he was raised. And just when he was told that when he made the team and just how humble and excited and just, you know, 
he doesn't take anything for granted because he realized that, hey, I had Tommy John surgery. I got hurt, and me coming back and producing at a high level was not a guarantee. You know, some guys, it's not a guarantee for them. You know, these guys get hurt. We just assume they're going to be right back. It's not always in the cards. So I like a guy that, that kind of goes with, that has that edge when they, you know, that's on my team. You know what I mean? That I root for. You know, players who have that kind of cachet about them, to me, you can build with that. That's people you want to get excited for. Now, from a baseball standpoint, I mean, he was impressive this spring. And if he can even bring an ounce of what we got to see, short sample size and, you know, out of the bullpen as another weapon, you know, say a guy goes four innings, he goes two, then you bridge it to Sawamura. Maybe he starts, you know, whatever it's going to be. I'm excited for what that potentially could look like. Um, and I'm hoping he can, he can continue it because if he lasts and does this throughout the course of the season, the Red Sox obviously will own his rights and he'll be with them, you know, for the remainder. And from here on out, um, you you know you literally potentially got a a future asset to your ro- either rotation or bullpen for free, and it's going to come at, at the detriment of the New York Yankees, which is just coupled on top of that, it just tickles me. You know, we talked about Nick York not looking like uh, a kid that you know deer in the headlights. Um, your um, Whitlock is the same thing. He hadn't pitched above Double A, and yet he he. Every bit looked the part of a major league pitcher in spring training this year. Yeah, he just had that look about him. So, yeah, you're right. And, and the th- other thing to keep in mind with the Rule 5 is they've got to keep him on the major league roster all year. They can't send him down without offering him back to the Yankees first. And I don't think that's something that they're going to want to do. And if they had to, the New York Yankees, if they had to, the New York Yankees would 100% say, okay, come on back and pay the 25 grand or whatever it's going to be to get him back. So he produces like he did in the spring. That's a steal and a fine for Heim Bloom, and I'll continue to sing Bloom's praises while the rest of Red Sox Nation calls me a pink hat or whatever. I don't even care. Matt, thoughts on Whitlock? No, I mean, you guys pretty much nailed it uh, in terms of Whitlock. Uh, the only thing I'll add, uh, what I love to see this spring, nine innings pitched, 12 Ks. So anytime you see more Ks than innings pitched, you're on to somebody who can, you know, really get the job done. And that seems to be what Garrett Whitlock is, uh, well, what he did in the spring. Get the job done. Getting the job done. All right, my honorable mention was Tanner Houck, but we talked about him already, so I'm going to call an audible, and I'm going to go with Darwinson Hernandez. I think this guy has the potential to be a secret weapon out of that bullpen, but he had kind of a rough spring through five and two-thirds innings. Only gave up two runs, but seven walks. Not something you want to see out of out of uh, a bullpen guy is coming in and giving up walks. So, but I think if this kid could put it together, he could be a real force in that bullpen. He's only twenty. He's still yeah, only twenty four. Right. He still has that that room to grow. Uh, his velocity has some room to improve as well. Uh, but if he can get it together, if he can find it, you're talking about a, a nasty lefty to go with the handful of guys we've already talked about tonight. Yeah, I so my thing with Hernandez is that um, I don't have a lot of hype around him, only really because you know we didn't get him, we didn't get to really see much of him last year. He dealt with COVID. Um, want to see what he kind of does in Worcester, kind of reestablish himself a little bit, build a little bit more. I want I don't want to say build the value, but 
um, get him to a point where he can be on this big league roster because a lot of people think really highly of him. You know, I've listened to other podcasts and they think that he should be the closer. I think it's a bit much before we start to see a little bit of sample size with him, but he could be a guy where June or July, if let's say they don't call him up until then, that could be like acquiring a reliever. You know what I mean? That's just like a, that could just be a, a sneaky pickup for the Sox. Wait, did so, he get sent down? I hadn't um, heard that. It, I didn't think that he made the no, big no, I thought No, I thought he was on yeah. the list of, I think he's breaking the breaking the season. I think he's making the club out of the gate. Let's see. I'll uh, I'm looking at their roster right now, and they don't have him. I thought it was him and Taylor. Yeah, I thought it was him and Josh Taylor, the two lefties that were going to be in the bullpen. I might be mistaken because obviously there was, you know, they had a game today, and some things may have changed. Yeah, but no, he's on the roster. You guys are correct. I I didn't think he made the team. Okay. Not to say he doesn't get sent down when Erod gets activated. Right. Exactly. All right. Any other honorable honorable mentions that you guys have? that you want to talk about before we move on to predictions. Uh, I'm just going to touch on this guy really quick, and it's a pitcher, and I want to just throw a pitcher out there because uh, I only brought hitters to the table, and that's Matt Andresi. Uh Just kind of like a boring type of arm, really. I mean, I don't know if he has much hype behind him, uh, but gave a really good spring outing through 10 innings, uh, had six strikeouts, and he's going to be a guy I think that's going to play a big key and play a big role in this team's success. He he can do a lot of things, and he, we've said it once, we're going to say it a million times, he's very versatile. And I think that it's something that they haven't had uh, over the last year or two, um, something I think they hoped uh, Colin McHugh was going to be. Uh, but now they have a guy who's on the mound, he's healthy, and I think he's going to uh, really help out this team uh, in very kind of – big times you know very big moments to not necessarily at the end of the game but to you know mop up a bad outing or, or to come in and bridge the gap so matt and is somebody um i don't know i, I can't least say i'm excited to watch but i am going to uh you know keep an eye on him because i do think he's important we'll call him a sleeper not that he's putting you to sleep he's he's the sleeper it could be it could be a double what do they call double that? Double entendre. Uh, they got two meanings. It could be both. A d- it could be a double entendre. Matt Andreessy, the double entendre. Oh, what a cool nickname, Matt, the double entendre Andreessy. See that on the back of his uniform <laughs> on uh, Players Weekend. Yeah, <laughs> if that's the case, oh, he better give us the fattest shout out. Uh, Chris, do you have anybody? No, I mean, not not really. You know, uh, from a player standpoint, I don't think there's really anybody else that I could say not as like an honorable mention. I would probably the only other thing I would maybe say is, and I ta- I touched on earlier with the Alex Cora piece. I just think it's having a legitimate big league manager back and having a guy that the players are already familiar with, um, and re-establishing and setting the tone for this for this team is important. And I, I think that it might be underlooked from a fan perspective that they're a lot of people, they, they just look at the back of the car to go to baseball reference and see, oh, well, Cordero hit, you know, two and change last year for the Royals and he had three home runs, but yet he played an X amount of games. Well, you have a manager now, like you have a legitimate baseball manager that's here. You kind of it, it, like they have players where they're building towards something and they're they've targeted a certain group. 
you know, I, I think that the Alex Cora piece, you know, we, we've had our opinions on Cora back when he, you know, they parted ways and everything else. Um, he might arguably be the biggest acquisition that they made this offseason to get this team back and right the ship. You know, it's not often that a manager might be your biggest addition. He, I, to me, he might be. All right, we'll call him manager to watch. Coach to watch? Manager to watch. All right, let's move on to some quick predictions uh, before we wrap things up. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on you guys for this because you're the fantasy guys. I'm I'm not fully up to speed with everybody else in the league. So let's start with the American League East. Who do you guys? You, you mentioned before the Yankees aren't the be all end all. Are they favorites to win the East? Or you got somebody else out there that you're looking at? Start with you, Matt. Okay. Disclaimer. This is not just my homerism coming to light. But I do think the Red Sox win the AL East, and here's why. The more and more I look at it, the more even I think teams one through four are in the division. And if you're talking about slugging your way to an AL East title, um, I think that's kinda I think that's gonna be the path to the to the vic- to victory. And I think the Red Sox are as good as anyone and um I it, it, just something really quick. Uh this spring Again, spring training, take it with a grain of salt, take it as you will. Red Sox are plus 28 in the run differential. Yankees are minus four. Um, and that's just, I think that just kind of shows of, I think it shows a quick snapshot of where this the two teams are as they head out of the gate. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Red Sox are all pretty evenly matched. And because of the water being so murky, I think the Red Sox can come out on top. Is uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge on the disabled list yet? Because you know that's coming for them too. Yeah, no, no. Aaron Judge, I think, is with there an illness go. or something. There you go. So, Chris, who do you see in the East? So, I, I, I don't see the Red Sox winning the AL East, but, but with that being said. There's still something about like Tampa Bay that I can't discount yet because of the fact that even though you subtract Blake Snell and you subtract Charlie Morton, they were still able to find the legitimate veterans in Michael Waka and Chris Archer and Rich Hill, who hasn't really pitched that great, but Rich Hill. Um, they got Patino from, from the Padres, and then, by the way, they still have arms within their program, and they got a decent lineup. I would not sleep on the Tampa Bay Rays still. Our prediction to win the American League East is going to be the Toronto Blue Jays, and I just think that their lineup is probably the more superior in the entire AL East. It's I would say it goes the Blue Jays and the Sox, and that might even just be interchangeable. Um, but like the Red Sox, they're going to need their pitching to kind of click on all cylinders. But I'm going to go with a different approach. I'm going to say it's going to be the Toronto Blue Jays, and I think the Yankees are going to take a step back because I just don't think the New York Yankees have the pitching in this, I just I think their lineup is going to be okay. I don't think they got the pitching. I just really don't. You you get away from the three hundred twenty four million dollar man in Garrett Cole. People want a dog in the socks, but like, what has Corey Kluber done in the last two years? He hasn't. You know, he's pitched what maybe three games. How was he this spring? What's that going to look like? What does that translate to this season? After that, what do the New York Yankees, you know, have? You, you know, they they there's there's players, but. I think I think there's I think the Sox and I think that the Blue Jays are a little bit deeper 
and how their team was built. I'm going to go Toronto for winning the AL East. I have a question about Toronto. Are they going to be able to play in Toronto this year? I hadn't heard anything. No, I'm I'm serious. I hadn't heard anything. I don't know. Are they back in Buffalo this year? I think they're in Buffalo uh, for the first half of the year. Uh, The last thing I had heard is the border may not open up till July 1. So if that's the case, they may be in Buffalo for a majority of the season. So that's that's got to wear on them. That's got to be a factor over a 162-game season. Well, right, because now you're dealing case, with minor league facilities. That, you're dealing with subpar, uh, you know, clubhouse the and uncertainty. such. I mean, I mean, the Toronto Raptors haven't exactly, you know, done well down in Tampa. So that is a good point. So maybe I'll flip flop. You know, that's we have the right to flip flop. We, we right? can do whatever we so want. So I'm going to go Tampa Bay, and maybe <laughs> by the, maybe maybe by the end of the by the end of the podcast, I would have said that the Orioles and the Yankees and the Red Sox are all going to win the AL East. So right now. We're gonna we're gonna go Tampa Bay, defending American League East, uh, de- defending American League pennant winners. All right, and, that, and that's a good segue. Let who's gonna who do we like to win the AL pennant this year? Let's start with you, Chris. I think that Chicago is a really solid team with a um, thousand-year-old manager. Yep. Well, they're gonna have to, you know, prop him up every once yeah. in a while. Wake him Take up. Take the keys away from him too. On the bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don't let Grandpa drive after dark. I I like Chicago a lot. I like their pitching. I like their offense. But Chicago is taking a step. They're losing Aloy Jimenez with that pec injury. So there's there's a piece in the in that lineup. But they can go out maybe sign Puig or Cespedes or something like that. Um, I like their pitching though. From you know, Giolito is an absolute stud. Um, I think the Astros are going to be there. I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to be better than what they were last year. Um, I would love to say it's going to be the Red Sox representing the the AL, but uh, that's who Matt's going to have. I'm going to go. I'm for now. For now, I'm probably going to go White Sox, but. The Twins, too. I think the Twins are going to be good. Uh, the Indians still could be sneaky good, too. So the, 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 we talked about so much parity in the American League. It, it's it's crazy. I'm going to go Chicago. I'm gonna go Chicago the Twins have to win a playoff game. Never mind a playoff series. Well, as long as they, if they play the Yankees, they're screwed. <laughs> but if they end up getting a first-round matchup against another team, there is there is some hope for, for the Twin Cities. All right, Matt, who do you like in the to win the American League this year? So my, my gut reaction, my gut take here is it's the Chicago White Sox. I do think they have the best uh, roster in the American League. But when you factor in the loss of Eloy Jimenez, that is tremendous. Uh, that is a tremendous, tremendous blow to their team. And you mentioned Tony La Russa. I, we've said on this podcast, uh, it, it, I, haven't, I don't know if there's a more peculiar hiring in recent history. Uh, and I think it's going to hurt that that club's chances of winning the whole thing. Reports already out of Chicago already have him complaining about losing in spring training, being fed up, and that's just not going to work in today's game with today's players. And they have such a young team uh, that they're going to be relying on. So I love their roster, but I don't think they get to the promised land. And once I remove them, I think it's just it's a free-for-all. And if I'm going to follow the narrative that the Red Sox are better than we expect, deeper than we expect, could get Chris Sale some point this season – 
And now you're talking about a winner that could call up Jaron Duran, call up Jeter Downs, make moves at the deadline, have depth to make moves at the deadline. Uh, I'm going to pick them to win the American League East and the American League Bennett. There's a shocker. All right, who are they going to face in the National League? Let's move over to there. Matt, who do you like coming out of the National League? I'm going to be far less boring here. I'm going Dodgers for obvious reasons. I don't really know what else to say. They're absolutely loaded. They're ready to make a, a run. They continue year in and year out to make deep playoff runs. After winning it last year, I still see them having a lot of hunger, uh, and they're just completely loaded. So I got the Dodgers. Chris? I, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers, I, I don't know how you can pick against them. I mean, their, their rotation is disgusting. Um, their lineup is great, too. Um, some things, though, that would concern me with the Dodgers is what is the health of Bellinger had surgery this offseason to kind of fix that shoulder that he popped out of place during the World Series? You know, is there going to be any ill effects with his swing? What's that going to look like over the course of a 162 season? Um, you know, they're saying he's fine, but so that 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 to me could be a question mark. But their pitching, their pitching is just so superior um, that you know you match up against them in in the World Series, you know you're going to go Kershaw, Bueller, Bauer, like come on, you know. On top of that, you still have Dustin May, you know, uh, who won that fifth spot. They, they're loaded. They're loaded. I like San Diego too. I, I you know, but something just kind of tells me that there's. So there's something about San Diego. Like I, I like you, Darvish, but is he really like a true ace to lead your staff to win a championship? You know, Chicago brought him in to do that. They had a really good team too. I don't know. I, I think the Dodgers. They're, they're the team to beat. I wouldn't mind seeing a Sox Dodgers World Series again. Wouldn't mind that one bit. After that billboard they wanted to throw out there. They did put it out there. You're talking about the one at Fenway where they I mean. thanked. Uh... Red Sox fans for Mookie yep. Betts. Yeah, yeah, nice move. That's a classy move. And who, like, who, and who does that? Like, think about it, right? So, you won the World Series. Like, do you you need to troll the Red Sox? Like, that's something that like the Red Sox would do to the Yankees or the other way around. Like, we're not your rivals. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not your rival. Like, your rival. Like, worry about the worry about the NL. Worry about the. We need to worry about the Padres. That's a good team. I know, but I again might be some question marks. That's a good team. Worry about the, the Padres, but I'm excited for the Padres, Dodgers, and LCS. That's what I want to see. I want to see that as that matchup in the postseason. Like that's going to be fire and electric. Um, that's I, Tatis is the biggest question with I think the Padres and whether he'll be the same player he was last year. Is he going to live up to that, that that fat contract? Yeah, we've said it before. The Padres are a fun team to watch. I, I wish we could get them more here on the East Coast. We won't see a heck of a lot of them, but. Certainly look forward to their highlights uh, every day on Quick Pitch. That's going to be fun to get start watching Quick Pitch Quick Pitch again in the morning. That's something I'm looking forward to as well. Can't wait. All right, quickly, give me uh, MVPs for both leagues. Who wants to go first? Uh, do you want to do real quick just a World Series oh, champion? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I missed that. Yeah. I'll just be – I can be real quick with it. Uh, although I'll be rooting for the Red Sox like hell, uh, I don't think anyone – beating the Dodgers on paper. Uh, that pitching rotation, like you mentioned, Chris, is absolutely disgusting, and I just don't know what you can do in a seven-game series if you're facing Kershaw, Bueller, Bauer, Gonsal, and May with Price and you know the guys they still have in the minors, Josiah Gray, it, it, as one example. Uh, I love the Red Sox, but if they have to play the Dodgers, I think uh, Dodgers will win that. 
Chris, you in agreement with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to agree to it because I don't want to give Dodgers fans that satisfaction that there's a chance they can go back to back. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think unless I don't know who's going to match up with them, I, I really don't from a pitching perspective. I think from a lineup standpoint, the Rays, the, you know, the Rays were they held their own against them, but unless a team comes out of nowhere and they get some arms who, again, just kind of surprise, I, I don't know if anybody is going to compete with that. I think the Dodgers have to be the overall consensus favorite. And if they had left Blake Snell in in game six, who knows what would happen in that game, and then anything can happen in game seven. And who knows if yep. he gets traded. All right, now MVPs. Who do we have, Who do we like for uh, MVPs? Let's start National League. So my National League MVP winner is a little bit more exciting than my American League, and I, I love the guy. I love the new team that he's on, but I, and I think Francisco Lindor comes out and is the National League MVP. Interesting pick. I like it. Yeah, he's just he's a superstar. Uh, he's now in a humongous market. He's vying for that big time contract, switch hitter. I just uh, you know he's got everything you want in a in a franchise player. And I think this is the year on the main stage, on the national stage, he takes you know a big a big chunk out of it. And uh, yeah, I think I got him winning. All right, Chris, who you got? I'm gonna go same division, different player. And I'm going to go Juan Soto. Um, I just I, This kid just continues to just get better, and he just rakes. He's going to be the, the game's first $500 million player. Um, I was kind of back and forth thinking about it, whether I was going to go him or maybe Acuna. Um, I also wouldn't sleep on Corey Seager either. I mean, he was – he was, you know, he swung such a hot stick during the playoffs and during that World Series, and I think he's really starting to come into his own. But I'm gonna go Soto. I, I just I love his swing. He's starting to become for me a player like I want to watch his highlights. I want to see him. I want to see his at bats. I feel like he's that young special player, um, and that's it's only going to get better. Um, and if he became a free agent, I, if I'm Boston, I would give him anything and everything he wanted. So, but. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Soto. I, Matt, I do agree with you too. I think that Lindor is gonna be is gonna be. I think he's gonna have a good year in New York. I just wonder, are they gonna get a deal done to keep him there long term? And if they don't, is that gonna be a distraction all season long for him? And I think he's gonna be a professional. But you know that New York market and the media and how those fans are. Um, it was everything lined up for them up until their GM and his. Uh, text messaging um snafus and stuff but i think it's i think it's a good pick but for me it's soto you know you mentioned soto and acuna and we mentioned tatis and devers what what a you know all all great great talents under the age of 25 you know there there are some exciting young players out there and we've talked about it before how baseball needs to market these guys they really do because they're just fun players to watch uh well let's move to the american league chris who's your american league mvp well, it's not going to be Aaron Judge, and it's not going to be Giancarlo Stanton. And I think that uh, people who pick them, that's a super, super safe pick. At least pick. Gary Sanchez. Um, I don't uh, – I, I swore right there. <laughs> Gary Sanchez sucks. I do not know what the fascination is with Gary Sanchez. Like if you like a guy who hits 212 
and and thirty home runs, great. <laughs> like that does nothing. Thirty home runs him. and thirty pass Gary balls. Sam- like he's a terrible, terrible catcher. Like he's a guy that when he becomes a free agent or he's probably going to get traded by New York. I mean, they talked about it at one point. That is going to be. At, like, he's what he's going to at least a DH. But what team wants a guy that's going to be hitting two twenty? Like I just it doesn't it does nothing. Okay, nothing I said that me. sarcastically. So, I wasn't. <laughs> I know, but it just Gary Sanchez boils my blood. I had a debate with somebody on this on Sunday. And I'm, you know, they were like hyping him up as if like he's the second coming. I'm like, dude, like he sucks. And it wasn't even with a Yankees fan. I'm like, what's your like? There's other options at catcher to be excited about. Like, a- anyway, um, it's got to be Mike Trout now. I mean, he just keeps winning MVPs. It's like you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. You know, all those MVPs, but he's never gonna get the big one because his organization can't develop or draft or sign pitching. So. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Trout. That's safe, but Trout. Okay, Matt. I'm going Trout as well. I still think he's the best player in baseball, and I do think that this is a year where the Angels make some noise. So, given his track record of being a monster producer, and if that team actually has some wins, I think he's a no-brainer uh, AL MVP. All right, let's go to Cy Young. Matt, you're up first. American League Cy Young. Uh, I, my American League Cy Young is Lucas Giolito. Um, he's just his his career trajectory is exactly what you want to see. You know, it was a little bit of a slow burn, but over the last few years, he's been completely dominant. He's going to be on a good team. He's going to have a good lineup backing him, and I I think he's you know going to be a fantastic starting pitcher in 2021. So fantastic, in fact, that he wins the AL Cy Young. All right, Chris. I have to agree. I love Lucas Giolito. Uh, I just it's a fun guy to watch you through that no hitter last year. Just it's Giolito uh, for everything Matt just said. It's Giolito, and I and I just hope that we're not wrong and it's Garrett Cole. But yeah, Giolito, I just love the just he's a stud. He's he's just legitimate. Like I have no idea why the White Sox traded him. I mean the Nationals traded him to the White Sox for the return that they got a few years back. Um, now for me it's Giolito. Love him. All right, who you got? Getting... He's also my don't say he's on your so don't say he's on your fantasy team. Yeah, uh, I know he is. I know. I pulled mm-hmm. the Who do you have in the National mm-hmm. League? Uh, my National Cy Young Award winner, I got Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. He's entering his 26th season, prime of his career. He's got one of the best fastballs in the game, a dynamic curveball, and you know, the rumblings is 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 all always goes back to the Dodgers resting and. and you know, giving phantom DL stints to their their pitchers, uh, but I just don't. I think they're gonna let this kid throw. They let him throw 180 innings two years ago, and if he's healthy and he's effective, they're gonna. I just think they're gonna keep rolling him out there. And if he has the opportunity to accumulate stats, he's so good. I I just think he. This is his year where he gets the uh, NL Cy Young. But man, that National League is loaded with pitching. All right, Chris. Please don't agree with him. Come up with somebody different. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna agree with him. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, Jack Flaherty. Um, I, 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 I love his makeup as well. You know, he's just, um, I just lost my note on him. Damn it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like Jack Flaherty a lot. Um, he's just, for me, just one of the, again, one of those guys that the Cardinals go and they just seem to produce on a regular basis and, and run these guys out there. He's a stud. 
uh, stud pitcher. You know, I think that he was able to learn under under Wainwright, who's probably going to be his number two there, who's also pitched really well this spring. Um, he had a little bit of a down year. I think his ERA was was you know in the high fours, but um, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to bring to the Cardinals over the course of a full season. Um, I think the Cardinals are ready to take an, another step in the in the NL after acquiring Nolan Arenado. So he's not only going to have a pretty ridiculous defense behind him, um, healthy. I, I just like Jack Flaherty. I mean, Jacob DeGrom, too, like you can't bet against him either. But and, and everybody's putting like you could put your money on DeGrom. I was just looking at some uh, Vegas odds on him. He's one of the, the favorites for that. It's like Flaherty. I just it's I think it's just an outside the box pick, and uh, I'm gonna go with him. All right, let's uh, wrap it up with rookies of the year. I know you already met uh, Chris. You already talked about either Dahlbach or Arenado. Arenado, not Arenado. A Rosarena. Rosarena. Yeah. Uh, those are your two picks. You can only you can only pick one yeah, in the American I League. Yeah, I want it to be Dahlbach because of the fact that you know from a Red Sox standpoint, the last. Amer- Red Sox Rookie of the Year was Dustin Pedroia, um, and we got to see what that career looked like. 14 years, three World Series championships, an MVP, you know, a ton of accolades, dirt dog. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck is a different player. He's, you know, he's going to be able to be a true laser show all the time. Um, I just, what I got to see from a Rosarina during the World Series, like, I love that. You know, he was, he was must-see tv like you like again he's a player like i wanted to watch him hit and you know how often out of your market do you have guys you're like i have to watch this guy hit not like this is the world series but he was just mashing everything now i don't think he's you know he's probably gonna take a little bit of a step back but the rays the rays um the rays found something in him they got him in, in, a, in a pretty even trade with the cardinals and I, I like a Rosarina, so I'm going to go with a Rosarina right now, but I might change it at some point over the course of the year. A Rosarina over Dahlbeck, but just by a smidge. All right, Matt, you're up. My my AL Rookie of the Year, uh, actually, he's settling into a new role uh, given an injury, and that's Andrew Vaughn from the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he's going to be playing a little left field for that team now. He was already projected to kind of rotate in at first in DH, but now he's going to get a lot of reps in left. And I think he's uh, going to get the at-bats to become Rookie of the Year. 17 hits in spring, two home runs, about a 279. Uh, but what I really like to see out of uh, a former college bat like Vaughn was plate discipline. He struck out 14 times, but he walked eight. So he's he's pretty well-rounded at the plate. Uh, and given now his, his increase in opportunity, I'm going with Andrew Vaughn. All right. Now jump to the National League. Who you got there, Matt? Uh, National League, uh, AL uh, – National League AL Rookie of the Year for the NL. I got Sixto Sanchez, pitching pitcher for the Miami Marlins. He actually just got sent down to the alternative training site, but that is for uh, so he can continue to stretch out. And I think ultimately that's a good thing for him. He's not going to be rushed to the main stage. He's not going to be put out there too early. Um, he's going to continue to uh, stretch out and, and put on a good base for the season. And once he's up, oh, that kid is electric. Changed his number to 45 in an homage to Pedro. How can you not love it? He's my NL rookie. He pitched of the year. against the Sox last year, didn't he? Yes. He did. He did. He pitched quite a bit, uh, but he still qualifies for the rookie of the year this year. All right. One of those uh, stable of stud pitchers that the Marlins have slowly acquired down there. 
Yeah. Who you got, Chris? National League Rookie of the Year. So I'm staying in the same division, and I'm going to go Ian Anderson um, with the Braves. He benefited from the fact that Cole Hamels and Felix Hernandez didn't pitch with the Braves last year. Mike Soroka went and had a season-ending Achilles injury, so the Braves were looking for pitching. And when they called him up, his first start was against the New York Yankees and Garrett Cole, and he dominated the Yankees, and he pretty much dominated the rest of the way um, during the regular season. Uh, you know, if you're into if you're into metrics, I um, to an extent, but uh, he led the category. He led the league in like six different categories, which kind of looks like when you look at the letter acronym, it was like a child typing all their keys um, on the computer. So I'm not going to go and like mention what those are, but he did lead uh, in uh, or at least finish in the top ten in, in six key metrics um, that people engage and judge pitching. Um, the other piece, though, too, was the fact that, you know, I think his ERA was in the just under two over the course of the regular season. Yeah, he finished with a 1.5, 1.95 ERA in six starts. So his K per nines uh, was 11.4 batters. He was dominant over the course of the regular season. I And he was dominant against the Sox, too. We got to see that on TV. I mean, who wasn't? But um, I like Ian Anderson a whole lot. Um Got to see him a little bit in the playoffs. I'm looking forward to see what he can do over the course of a full season. I'm really, really, really excited about about him. And the Braves have just they have a really good rotation too. With you know Soroka comes back from that Achilles Achilles injury. They have with Max Freed. They signed Charlie Morton. You know I am uh, Matt, not a Drew Smiley fan, but they have Drew Smiley. And then on top of that though too, uh, you add an Ian Anderson. The Braves have a really formidable. Uh, rotation that you can really be excited about if you're a Braves fan. So love Ian Anderson. I think that's I think he's my my solid choice. And I was almost going to say him for Cy Young too, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Guys, I got to give you credit for for the people listening. I I threw these predictions out there at the last minute before we started recording, and it just shows what the knowledge that you guys have in the game that you were able to step up with these things so quick. So well done, gentlemen. Well done. Well, thank you, sir. All right. Any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? I do. We have a, we have a, we have a Red Sox signing just announced. Not a big signing, but the Red Sox have signed reliever Hector Rondon, veteran uh, with the Phillies. I like that. Out. It was just uh, just announced and tweeted by uh, Mass Live Chris Cotillo. So um, little check mark. That is a hundred percent. Um, I don't know if it is a minor league deal because I, th- I think it might have been because that's what they signed uh, Olsen for earlier today. Left-hander, I can tell you right now. Let's go to the tweet. It is on a minor league deal. So veteran reliever. Add more depth. This is what teams do. And, you know, Bloom mm-hmm. also, you know, with uh, Olsen too, the left-hander that was, what was it, with the Indians? Yeah, the Indians. Earlier yes. today. Or so. the, the, the Cleveland Baseball Club. The Cleveland based the Spiders. Yeah. <laughs> are they not going by Indians this year? I thought this was the last year. This they is the last the, year, yeah. And there hasn't been a lot of talk on what that's going to look like, what they're going to, uh, what they're going to call themselves. All right, that's a podcast for another day. Matt, any closing thoughts? No, I think we kind of covered it all tonight. I'm just really, really excited for baseball to start and. Uh, it really can't come fast enough. Just two more sleeps away, boys. All right. And uh, with the regular season coming, hopefully we can get together 
more often than once a month to talk some Red Sox baseball, and hopefully we have a lot of good things to talk about. Absolutely. All right, everyone, check out our website at www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. You'll see all the articles from Chris and Matt and all of our other writers. We've picked up some new writers recently who have been putting out some good stuff for us, so please check that out. You can also find links to all of our podcasts on our syndicate network and links to our merch page hashtag buy merch we have hats t-shirts sweatshirts masks mugs and a lot of other great stuff so please check it out also check out our facebook page at boston sports syndicate and follow us on twitter and instagram at boston sports sin that's s-y-n and all our podcasts also have their own twitter page if you're a fan of the red sox podcast to be named later our Twitter site is at RedSoxPod underscore BSS. So please check us out on all these social media platforms. And if you want to get in touch with us with questions, comments, ideas, something you'd like us to talk about on one of our podcasts, you can message us on Facebook or any of our Twitter accounts or shoot us an email at contact at bostonsportssyndicate.com. And with stan- uh, players back in the uh, players back in the stands, I knew I couldn't get through this without screwing up, guys. With fans back in the stands, you might be asking, where can I get discounts on tickets? Well, you can't get it from us just yet. But check out SeatGeek. Use the code BSS. I don't think it's in effect yet, but hopefully it will be soon, and you can get 20% off your first ticket purchase. Chris, Matt, thank you for joining me. To everyone listening, thank you for joining us. We will catch you later, and remember, wear your mask. Take it easy. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by IMCDM and Jay Kelly.